Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a hotel bellboy, and I love films. As Victoria Schwab once said, the beautiful thing about books was that anyone could open them. But also, you know, films are good too, and they're quicker generally. Yeah, that's true, Vicky. They sort of get on with it, don't they? Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Kevin Smith, Jamila Jamil, Sharon Stone, and even Cled Blambles. But this week, it's the incredible actor, writer, and director, Fran Kranz. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you get about 30 minutes extra chat with Fran. You get secret, you get beginnings and endings, you get deep stuff, you get a video, you get the whole episode uncut and ad free. All of that stuff and more. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Ted Lasso season two is available on Apple TV Plus along with season one. You can watch all of that. And Soulmates and Super Bob is available on Amazon Prime in most places. The big news is that tickets are selling very fast for the massive, huge, big live films to be buried with live, live, live at the Hackney Empire on July 2nd. Make sure you don't miss out. Get your tickets from plosive.co.uk and hackneyempire.co.uk and we will have a right old time. Get amongst it. Come on, everyone. So, Fran Kranz, right, listen to this. Listen carefully, please. You know me. I take films very seriously. I saw this film, Mass, when I was in America. I went to the cinema. I'd heard it was good, but I knew nothing about it. I went on my own, as I like to do, to the cinema and it fucking... I think it is the best film of the year. It will take a very special film to knock this one off my number one spot. If you have not seen the film, I thoroughly, thoroughly, I cannot recommend it enough. Please watch the film and then listen to this podcast because this podcast is with the writer and director, Fran Kranz, of that film. And he was fucking amazing. And we spend an awful lot of time talking about the film. And I think what he had to say about it was absolutely fascinating. And I think you will get so much more out of this episode if you've seen the film. And regardless of this episode, you should see the film because it is really, really special. That's it. Fran Kranz, he's an actor. He's in Cabin in the Woods. He's in all kinds of stuff. He's in so many films you love. And then out of nowhere, he decides he's going to write and direct this film. And he's, I mean, it's fucking amazing. Anyway, 
that's enough. You get the gist. I think this film is amazing. I think the man who made it is amazing. And I'm very grateful I got to speak to him. And I really think you're going to enjoy this. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 197 of Films to be Buried with. And welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a training dayer, a Donnie Darkoer, a villager, a TV setter, a hitcher, a cabin in the woods, a dollhouse, a producer, a writer, and director, and maker of the best film of the year. And I know it is oh, not the man. year is not over, but if a film tops the film this man made, I will be astonished. Please welcome to the show, the one and only, can't believe we've got him. What an honour. Here he is. It's Mr. Frank Rands. <laughs> oh, that was great. Hey, I mean, that's definitely the best introduction I'll ever get. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you, man. I know, you know, I heard someone, someone tip we have, you know, you get your movie and you're in promoting it. And so you get these sort of press breaks, right? So I was mm-hmm. kind of tipped off to how you felt about the movie a few months ago, whenever you saw it, I, I'm not sure. It was kind of in the middle of the sort of November, December and the awards kind of push. And yeah. it meant it meant a lot to me. I mean, I have so many. Um, it's such a hard thing to move on from uh, for bet. a lot of reasons, you know, and I don't I don't I just, you know, I'm sort of feeling like, OK, I guess I never will. You know, I guess there's sort of always going to be a sort of an emotional kind of, you know, complicated relationship with this movie but it did mean a lot and not in some kind of the, the praise or the kind of the, the vanity of, oh, he loved my movie. But you sometimes kind of felt like just the, 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 the reality of it and making a small movie and mm. you can't afford the billboards. You don't you're not on a streamer. No streamer even wanted us, you know, and so you you just realize your reach is limited. And when you do that, that last if you're if you're lucky enough to get a movie into sort of that conversation and you get mm. you're lucky enough to do these these award campaigns or whatever, you start to realize, you know, I it, it just it's so hard to get people to watch something, you know, if you don't if you don't have the sort of money and the, the machine behind you. Yeah. So so hearing someone affected and moved by it, I felt like meant a lot. And, and I assume it always does if you're you know, by whoever, Jane, you know, the people with the big movies this year, Power of the Dog and Licorice mm. Pizza. And so, but I would assume also if you're on Netflix and have billboards around town, <laughs> there's almost an expectation that people ha- have an opinion of your movie. And so mm. it's sort of a kind of a, amazing when it's you feel you I feel like you you feel that it acutely penetrates someone when it's this tiny thing, you know? Yeah. Anyway, well, I, 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 I don't know. No, no, no. I'm so <laughs> I, I mean, I'm actually glad to hear. I'm going to say, just in case people aren't aware, if anyone skips the intro, the film we are talking about is the film Mass, which uh, Fran wrote and directed, which I want to ask him everything about. But um, uh, I think a friend of mine or a friend of Jason Isaac, at some point, all I'd heard was Mass is very good. I'd heard it months before it came out. I just heard Mass is good. I didn't know anything about it. And my dream version is never knowing anything. But didn't see a trailer, didn't read up on it. All I knew was... Someone somewhere had said mass is good and I was in America and it was on and there was like one screening of it at a certain time and I was like, I'm just going to fucking go. And I went, it was just like the perfect screening, you know, it was just, I went in knowing nothing and it just blew my fucking mind. And and it's, 
And it, what it is, again, I think it's great to see if you don't know anything about it. I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say what, in terms of like the practicality of it, is most of the film, 90% of the film, is four people around a table talking. Yeah. And yeah. when I say that, on paper, you might think, oh, so it's like a play on film. But it is fucking cinema. That's the thing. The two things that I think are amazing about it, aside from everything, is that <laughs> you manage to film it and direct it in a way that feels completely cinematic and intense. And it isn't a play. It's not this, it wouldn't be the same on stage. It, it's the way you're using the camera and the way you're in, you're so in it with the four of them and the way just all of their tiny, these tiny um, micro reactions between each other, stuff that you're picking up and how we get lost in it. But it's also the fact that, again, not saying what it's about, but uh, on paper, it's a very depressing, sad story. Right, and yeah. again, yeah. I think if you were to tell someone, oh, this is what it's about, they might go, oh, I don't want to watch that. That sounds really heavy and upsetting. But what I love about it is a type of film that always upsets me is where it's a film about a big issue and it's depressing and it feels like at the end of the film the message is well everything's fucked and there's nothing we could do and the world's awful <laughs> right, right? right and your film took a very incredibly heavy difficult subject and without selling anything out and without cheating actually it has a positive message that is realistic that is actually attempting it doesn't answer all the questions it doesn't say well here's the solution but it sort of heads towards something rather than leaving you hopeless it actually is genuinely profound in a positive way about a really yeah. difficult thing and it left yeah. me hopeful and moved and it's fucking incredible man yeah it's i mean really hey <laughs> i know i look i mean it, it I, I couldn't ask for or conceive of a better sort of reaction to the movie because i feel like you've You've sort of said everything I could have, you know what I mean, hoped for mm -hmm. in an audience response there. And, and you know, to me, and, and sometimes I feel a little delusional because I, I do think it's hopeful. I do. Mm -hmm. I think it's about healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and the possibility of it all. And the writing process or the whole conception of the film was desperately wanting to believe in all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we, without getting into specifics, if it, you know, it's good. I'm, I, of course, the ideal way to watch it is just to sort of watch it and not know mm. anything. But, you know, I was, um, my daughter was just about one and a half, I guess a little, oh, a little over one. I, I guess I'm spoiling it, but when the, the, the part, well, maybe we put happened, a spoiler warning and we spoil, okay. Yeah. yeah I would yeah. love to talk about it. So yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And by this and, point, um, if you've not seen mass, I hope I've convinced you to watch mass, stop the podcast, watch mass and then come back. <laughs> great. Great. And, uh, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I guess, you know, this, this gets personal, but this is good, but it, it, it's, um, you know, as soon as my daughter was born, like as soon as I held her, I, it, I knew like, Oh, it, I'm fucked like the game over, you know, if anything right. ever happens to this thing, I'm, I'm done. You'll never see me again. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, that's, that's how intense it felt. And obviously it's all joy. Mm. Um, but there's, and maybe it says something about who I am and, you know, I need to like sort of, you know, talk to someone or lighten up or like, you know, why is my head in this place? But it, it, this isn't some constant fear I walk around with, like if my I lose my daughter. But it's just the, the it's there, you know. As mm. soon as she's there, it's also this. You could, you know, we all die, you know. Mm. And um, 
the first year of having a kid is crazy. I think at a certain point, you know, things kind of slow down to a point where I, mm-hmm. it, you feel like you get stages of their life in a sense. But I, in that first year, it's insane, you know, and, and I think I was there was a ton of vulnerability and emotion and, you know, joy. But this sort of this 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 under underneath it all, this kind of knowledge of just, man, I got so much invested in this this person now your priorities shift they're 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 more important than you and so the when the parkland shooting happened the the timing of it all i i literally i was listening to a parent on the radio and i I don't think the i can't remember i don't think the parent lost their child i i don't know why they'd be sort of speaking on the, the to the news so quickly but it was just the general heartbreak outrage frustration shock confusion all those emotions we experience on to such a smaller degree you know, watching it on the news and hearing this person so directly affected by it, I, I had to pull over. I was driving in L.A. and like literally started crying in my car. I was like, what the mm. fuck is happening to me? And um, sort of observing that and feeling like, OK, what's what that was? That was a strange reaction. What's going on there? And then just kind of thinking, hey, you know, my entire sort of adult life, like in high school, I was a senior. I was the age of the, you know, the, at least the, the shooters at Columbine and it's sort of been this cloud over us here for, you know, obviously shootings happen in schools long before, but it, there's been this sort of period of them, this kind of era that I think we all sort of, we kind of go back to Columbine in some way. So that was kind of it. I was like, you know, I, I want to sort of go back to the beginning and in, in my frame of reference and learn about this. And so there was no movie in mind. You know, I've always dreamed of directing, but, you know, my the movies I love have or the ideas I've had, you know, my sort of dream director resume is, is full of sort of big sci-fi and action right. and like fantasy. You know, I like I like yeah. Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And, you know, so this the idea of doing this, um, this just took me over. Uh, and when I came across these meetings, I, I thought about in college, I did this uh, production of Miss Saigon where we it was this strange adaptation where it was like 20 years later and the child uh, has wow. grown up and is estranged from the father. Yeah, the child of the Vietnamese woman and the American GI is now older. The Vietnamese woman has died, and he's living with his, you know, stepmother and father. And he's sort of their relationship is, you know, broken up. And so the musical wow. adaptation was bringing all these people together to relive it. And um, the director showed us this documentary from Sundance called uh, Long Night's Journey into Day, like a reverse on the Eugene O'Neill mm-hmm. title. And it was um, it was covered the South Africa Truth and Reconciliation Commission post apartheid. And it covered these four amnesty hearings where it brought victims, family members of victims in front of perpetrators and even their own families to try and work through what happened and speak to each other and sort of find forgiveness. And in a case where a person, a perpetrator showed true remorse, if the family forgave them, the government would grant them amnesty because they felt we cannot survive as a country if we just incarcerate everybody and keep looking back with resentment over all the crimes of apartheid. And uh, it was just so powerful. And when I was reading about these meetings, you know, some 20 years later, I immediately thought of that and I thought that, you know, that's it. I've always been there was always something there. I remember 
and, and later in my life, like in my late 20s, contacting that director of Miss Saigon, my, that buddy of mine from college, being like, hey, we got to do that again. Like, let's find an off-Broadway space and do that show. And he was kind of like, ah, I'm sort of over it. You right. know, but there was some, there was a thing in me that was like, I got to do, I got to, I want to do more with that. And mm. so that's, that was kind of it. And then it was sort of a rabbit hole and of sort of, an intense sort of focus and passion for the last, I mean, it's still there. That's the thing. It's hard to sort of move on from, I've had a lot of really emotional experiences and conversations because of the film. Obviously you can imagine, um, I've gotten to talk to some parents. It's there's, there's good and bad reactions. There's, you know, in some ways, because it's not so heavily anti-gun, you know, and it, there's I've, I've noticed gun violence prevention groups. It sort of doesn't feel on brand. There's a mm-hmm. sense of sort of like, well, what what do we do with this? And, you know, to me, it's sort of it's it, it's about coming together and speaking, you know, and the mm-hmm. ability to sort of listen and work through something and find a way forward. And in, and in that sense, it sort of seems to be, you know, I, I want it to feel even more universal than the specific sort of plot or the circumstances of the meeting and more about, you know, healing or bridging division in general. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. unless you don't want to talk about that, like when you were before you write the film, were you meeting with parents of victims and did you research yeah, no, that it, 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 it it's a regret it's a, most of it was reading i did meet i did meet with some i, I met with some uh, women who work for michelle carter who's an actor in the movie she plays uh sort of mm. the mediator lawyer character she she was a volunteer at uh both mom's demand action in every town and so she introduced me to some women who had lost loved ones and i spoke with them i spoken with some people who just had lost family members I don't want to say in general, but there was someone in a car accident. There was some, you know, speaking to mm. people and kind of just listening to how people, sorry, I got the, <laughs> the little chime going on, <laughs> um, but uh, listening to how people, I'm going to cry, keep, keep their loved ones. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. how they keep them, you know what I mean? Cause they're, they're gone. And like, how do you sort of keep it alive and like, keep that, how does it, how does it, how do you turn it into something? And it's hard to say positive, but that gets easier, you know, because this idea that maybe grief never really goes away. You just live with it more easily, you know, or, or you, you transform it into something not so painful and hearing people say, we just wanted to tell stories. I I had coffee with this woman who talked about losing her brother and saying, you know, we just want to tell people stories. And Mm -hmm. that, that there's, there's a moment in the film, but it's just very explicitly a story. And it was, Mm -hmm. it it really felt like, you know, it was an idea that like, of course, these people are going to share stories. So it was sort of in the writing, but to hear someone say that with such like sort of purpose or clarity to it, like said Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this needs to be a thing. And this might be a, a, a structural component to this conversation that really moves it to a cathartic place, you know, like mm. really kind of making it, you know, a key point. Um, but no, I think, you know, I've had, I've spoken with family members now right. or, or is directly involved with shootings. I had a, a incredibly emotional conversation with a mother from a mother of a Sandy Hook student uh, with Ann Dowd. And we were just in weeping, you know, we were kind of a mess and she was this sort of, you know, picture of grace and composure compared to us. It was, you know, and, 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 but she had said, and, uh, and maybe this is in the interview and if it's not, God, forgive me. Cause I, you know, I wouldn't want to say something she didn't say on camera, but there, look, there was a notion of like, not, not, not everyone will be an advocate of this film because mm-hmm. if you're, you, you can't tell people to forgive if they don't want to. And I, and I don't think the movie's really 
saying that there's uh, without giving stuff away like a you know not everybody sort of gets the same not everyone gets the, uh <laughs> forgiveness doesn't work for everyone the same way right yeah, in terms yeah. of parties you know there can be almost a transactional element i get it off my chest but like do you, does it really relieve someone of guilt mm-hmm. and shame and you know how does it work and i do there's I, look i've i've experienced that already the sort of the hurt of this isn't your story to tell. You haven't lived it and you can't tell other people's, you know, and, you know, I think it, it, it's sort of it's so it's a regret that I didn't find, you know, see, do a better job or work harder at finding these people. But I also I didn't know where to sort of stop. You know what I mean? Because it sort of uh, felt like, yeah. well, hey, I'm not going to I'm probably never going to get in touch with without saying names, but parents of shooters like I know there's one woman who's very outspoken and she's on, you know, TV and TED Talks. And that's her life now is speaking Mm -hmm. about this, her role as a mother of a shooter. But, you know, most of them are almost in hiding. Right. You know, so so the idea of and I'm trying to say these are four victims. Right. These are four. uh, They've all lost loved ones here. Right. And then we're trying to give some equality to the conversation and a, a, digni- a dignity to all of these people in order to sort of get somewhere, you know, be productive here. We have to sort of accept each other's humanity and shared suffering, not just sort of I'm the victim here and I yeah. blame you, but sort of get some equalizing sort of uh, field to be on. And um, so it always felt to me like, it, well, it's not just, you know, talking to the victims is sort of I, I should also talk to the mothers of the, the parents of the shooter. And, and I didn't know sort of where to stop. And so I didn't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I think there was a part of me that just um, kind of left it at that, you know, and sort of felt like, well, I'm telling a fictional story. I've researched this. I've got all these sources. I can. That's it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I'll probably have to sort of answer for that to some degree of, you know, I think there's probably, there'll probably be hard feelings around that or complicated feelings around that as the Sandy Hook parent suggested, even though she was, you know, she's like, I watched the movie twice. I, you know, I, mm. I forgive this person. I forgave this person. And I, the, you know, she spoke of the importance in her life, at least of forgiveness, you know, the, the, the writing uh, I think is, Listen, if you could handle more more of me telling you, you're brilliant. But the the writing, I think, is amazing, <laughs> particularly because, again, because it's fictional. You go, there's a much easier version of this where all the characters, where all the characters are lovely and sympathetic, and you feel sorry for them, which you do. Except, I think what's so brilliant, particularly the parents of the killer, they're so complicated, particularly and and out in the first. 20 minutes of the film you're you're like really uncomfortable she's really uncomfortable and she yeah. makes you she's she's there's everyone is so three-dimensional like she's awkward and mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. like a something almost pathetically needy about her and it's unco- you're sort of almost repelled by her in the first 20 minutes you totally get uh why martha mm-hmm. Plimpton is sort of like fuck you like because yeah, you can yeah, see yeah, this yeah, sort hard, of desperate yeah. It's so well written and incredibly active by everyone, but like it, such complicated characters. And as much as it is full of love and forgiveness, this film, it's also, there's no, it feels to me as, you know, someone outside of this, but you don't also don't let anyone off the hook. The final sort of speech that Anne Dad has when she comes back yeah. to tell that story is, is fucking devastating. It's so like, Jesus Christ. And yeah. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It isn't. There, there's no like. Okay, well that that um, yeah, yeah. neatly neatly explains all of these things. And I don't know. It's just uh, I think as an act yeah. of imaginative empathy, it's an extraordinary piece of work. Yeah, and, thank um, you. I mean, I, I look. I you, the, the movie lives and dies on the performances because it is it is like ninety percent in that room at a table and. Um, you know, I never, I mean, I really got, I just was, I was lucky and I knew it. We had a little three day rehearsal in New York about three weeks before we went to Idaho where we shot in Sun Valley and Haley, Idaho. And, um, I knew, you know, we kind of, the, the rehearsal was basically table work like you would for a play. We sat around mm-hmm. a table, but that's how the movie is. So our cinematographer, Ryan Jackson Healy, was there with our lenses and, right. you know, did a little camera test and we watched it and I thought, it, we have it. I know it. It's going to work. Mm-hmm. These actors are incredible. But the other thing, and it wasn't necessarily imp- improv, but, and this went back to any kind of read through I had with other actors, because I did a couple of read throughs sort of in the writing process but sort of really, you know, peppering actors with questions of like, where, where did you feel you were kind of just having to say the line, you know, or like mm-hmm. phone it in or like, what, where was it false and what can I do to fix that? So, so to keep that in a, not a illusion for lack of a better word of reality, you know, and, and that you just, you feel like this is, this is real conversation. It just feels like yeah. real people talking and sort of paying attention to where it felt literary or written, you know, mm-hmm. and also when an actor had an impulse to hear it and, and put it in there, you know, and, and really be flexible with the writing. And like, I give this example a lot, but Jason Isaacs in that rehearsal, he's listening to Reed Bernie and Ann Dowd tell the story of the shooting from their perspective, the day of the shooting. And he, and it, and it was originally, it was like line, line, line you know, uh, speech, speech, speech kind of. And Jason looked at me and was like, why am I listening to this? I don't want to listen to this. I don't care about these, their sob story. Mm-hmm. And it, it was an honest sort of thing. And so that that's in the movie, you know, it's sort of all of a sudden it's sort of, he, he, he quite literally says that. I think, I think mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to listen to this. I don't, and I, you know, f- just, just being um, open to that, and putting it in there, uh, I think, gave that that dialogue and the feel of that scene a sort of uh, a realism that 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 uh, you know I can't I'm, I probably like don't get credit for in terms of my initial sort of writing. Like I needed actors and I needed actors to sh- to have their instincts. Even though I am an actor, mm. it was hard for me to sort of you know see it all. I was too close or whatever you know. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And on yeah. the 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 less slightly less intense side, but it's interesting, and I understand it. And if people listening don't understand the industry, and I did not, is what's sad about the the reality of these things is I saw that film and I was like, oh, I mean, I remember being like, well, that's the film that will win all the Oscars in every single category there is, including special effects because it's so fucking good. But I know, I know that the reality is it's about money. It's about how much money do you have to promote this thing. And if you don't have a lot of money to promote this thing, then not loads of people will see it. And it doesn't matter how brilliant and amazing the film is. If people don't know the film exists, then it won't get the attention it deserves. And that is... um, Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, I mean, look, I... I, no one, I couldn't, I could barely get people to read the script. You know, it was mm-hmm. hard enough to get a friend to read it, let alone, 
get this thing made by a first time, you know, director, sort of relatively unknown actor. Like it, it, it was not, it, it was sort of working against me. And also those who did read it were like, this is not, this has no sort of market commercial value. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, I was constantly told you can't, you just can't do this. Like you right. got to break it up. And I would say, Hey, my dinner with Andre or 12 angry men. Like, no, I want to stay in the room. That's the whole point of the movie is we have to stay in and it has to be real time. You have to sort of suffer through these absurdities of kind of pushing through things and kind of placing pain right next to ordinary life it is 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 real it's it's mm. it's our experience of the of our lives is is sort of extraordinary sort of you know sprinkled in between the more ordinary and i i wanted to kind of feel that by having it so uh linear i guess and um i find someone told me if you have a dollar you're partially financed as you know giving me <laughs> advice and so i just created a you know an llc i put thirty thousand dollars into it and started telling people we were financed you know and okay. and kind of bluffed my way into it and you know it was not it, it it was a hard sell at sundance um it's been it's just been that way and uh a sort of a struggle and even you know at my kids school you know, that have their parents that are like, I'm so sorry, I just can't watch your movie. Like, I just I'm yeah. not in the headspace for it. And there's a lot of, hey, people mm-hmm. are having a hard time in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. No one wants to sit through this. No one's, you know, and so it's just sort of the the reality of it. But yeah, you do. I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where our expectations or our hopes, mm-hmm. at least, got high, you know, and we were in that conversation. And so to sort of, I mean, look, we got incredible, we had incredible success. Uh, also, when you think of like, I just sort of did this on my own and put my own money into it and where that all sort of came, how it came together. But no, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, it was like Oscar announcement morning was a, was mm-hmm. a gut punch, you know, mm-hmm. and you sort of think like, oh, you sort of have to sort of play this kind of mental game or gymnastics of sort of reminding yourself of the journey and that, and that this is, this is the same thing. And then it's just the, the emotion of it. Like I've been in rooms and conversations with people crying and sharing Mm. really um, personal stories. And you, you know, this thing was sort of made with a seriousness and vulnerability that, um, you know, I kind of have to sort of like live with and be accountable for, you know, and sort of, and and that's good. That's a good thing. I want to do that. I want like art to be serious and cathartic and complicated. And so it's, it's good, but it's certainly, I I'm starting to realize, Hey, this is not, this is just not something like as an actor, you, you walk away from things much more easily, you know, and this is just something that sort of, I'm sure will sort of, I will have a relationship most of my life, you know, all of my life. Anyway. <laughs> Are you going to follow it up with the Miss Saigon sequel? I, you know, I'm trying to write something and I say it's a sequel to Mass. It's just a hundred years later. And so I, I do have the, I have a sequel plan, but yeah, no, I, I, I tried to get that guy, Zach Jacobson. Sorry. I'm just going to throw idea. you under the bus. He, uh, it was, it was honestly, it was like one of the best things I've ever been in. Really it was such idea. an incredible adaptation. And just just cool ideas to sort of sustain that, you know, mm. conceit. It was really well done. Yeah. <laughs> Fran. Yeah. yeah. This is awful. I've forgotten to tell you something. Uh, <laughs> I should have. I fucking, we've been talking that probably half an hour about your amazing film. And I forgot to tell you before that. I probably should have said it at the beginning, actually. You, oh, fuck it. You've, I'll just say it. You've died. You're dead. <laughs> Funny uh, old life, isn't it? Yeah. You're dead. You're dead. Yeah. Uh, shame. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you die? 
God. I, um, you know, I turned 40 recently and I was mm-hmm. fine with that. I was, it was pretty, especially because of COVID birthday, it was just like nothing happened. And, but, but I had a weird couple moments of like, shit, I'm going to die soon, you know? And, and mass took so damn long to make. I keep thinking like, man, you, you only have, if you're lucky, like six films left, you know, mm. like you got, <laughs> you're not gonna, you know, there was a, there was a anxiety of time, but I don't know. It's funny. Like my mom has been texting me a lot recently about like so-and-so died of cancer. Like, have you, have you had your checkup? Like go see, you know, the doctor and like, you know, and I, I just was at the dermatologist. I have sensitive, you know, I get like, I had some things, I'm, I'm going to get some little moles cut off my back and my like sensitive skin. And that's like a concern. So I just sort of assume, and it's sort of, I don't want to say common or it is common cancer. It's all, I don't know. This is awful. There's something, it's not, it's not very unique, right? It's sort of like, that's kind of like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you know, a lot of people die of cancer. And so I think there's a kind of insult to injury way of like if it's it, it feels like it's going to be cancer where you're just sort of not, <laughs> um, you know, also I noticed that William Hurt died recently. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know? And yeah. I, lo- I worked with him. He was oh, he's wow. awesome. I, I had the greatest time with that guy. I loved him mm. on the village. And I, I'm pretty sure and maybe it changed. But the initial article I read uh, was he died of natural causes, but he was 71. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, is that? Is that a little young? Was yeah. it, can you say that? Is that what yeah. is natural? Do you know what I mean? Like, are we supposed to? Aren't those should be in your eighties or nineties? Right? What are natural causes? I've never what understood are, the phrase. Like, you fell <laughs> yeah. down the stairs. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's natural. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, no, right. I think it's sort of if it's eaten, you're eaten by a bear, but it's that's yeah. natural. That is not, you know, that was uh, um, like the who's yeah. I, but no, I can, I can sort of sadly see that like, okay, he, Fran, he died of natural causes at 64, you know, something <laughs> kind of just, a, just annoying and sort of leaves me a bitter taste in my mouth. Um, 64, 64 yeah. eaten by a bear. Um, <laughs> so do you, I mean, we've talked a lot about it really, but I, I, I normally ask, do you worry about death? I guess, do you worry about your own death? A lot? I don't think so. Clearly I've worried about my child's or, mm. or fixated on it and in order or not in order to, but around in and around this film, which is terrible. I don't even want to put that out into the world, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Like I had, look, the, the panic of I'm going to die soon. Didn't necessarily feel like my death. I, it was the death that bothered me so much as that. Well, how am I going to use my time? Do you know, um, I need to, oh shit, I got to get to work kind of that, that kind of feeling. Um, so I don't, I don't know. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I sort of alluded to this, this kind of sci-fi idea, you know, mass a hundred years from now. And, uh, so I listened to, this is the second best podcast, right? This is the (laughs) number two to you, right? Uh, the Lex Friedman podcast. And he's this MIT professor, and he j- he gets just a lot of his colleagues and these really brilliant people. And I don't understand. I wouldn't know half of what they're talking about. But he has a wonderful way of asking questions and making it accessible. It's not like dumbed down. It just feels some- like something within you can grasp that are, are sort of, you know, the, like the us who aren't, you know, geniuses. And, uh, you know, the sort of complexity of the universe and ideas about like the theory of everything and and what it all means and. This this one guy, Stephen Wolfram, he wrote this book, A New Kind of Science, and this guy's just really out there and a genius, but he's talking about the universe as 
So we have like physical, we have our own physical space and then there's sort of branchial space like quantum space. And the idea of there's every possible version of this existence happening simultaneously. And we just have this kind of slice in our sort of perspective and our, the, the mechanisms of our representation mechanisms limited us to this, this thing, but it's all happening around us. And then on top of that, the universe being, he calls it the Ruliad and this, it's like, Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but the Ruliad being all possible rules happening at once and the universe. And so you're like, well, who started the Ruliad? Where's the Ruliad come from? But within those rules is that is that that's a rule within the of all possible rules contains the rules of somehow starting this universe and that it's this kind of complete set. And that's sort of like. Look, I don't know if that's fine. I don't know who, you know, it's just this guy, you know, but it, it kind of, it kind of had, there was something beautiful about it. And this just interconnectedness sort of, there is sort of a self-contained solid running program that when I die, it's not, I'm not going into some, you know, you know, just, it's not, I'm not turned off. I'm just right. sort of in this thing. And, mm-hmm. and the notion of like, and it's not, it does feels even less like uh reincarnation, but just sort of like, you know, as soon as you die, you might just be right back on again and have no idea who Fran was, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and I guess that sort of is reincarnate, but, but this idea of, um, the solidness, the sort of the oneness of it, I thought was kind of, is kind of beautiful and reassuring, even though it's really out there, you know, and really hard to sort of comprehend, I guess. I like that. (laughs) Well, it's, it's interesting, but I'm afraid, I mean, good news and bad. Uh, When you're shut off, there is a heaven, there's a middle bit. There's a heaven. (laughs) And you go to visit that before you're immediately switched back on in a new new computer game. And in this heaven, everyone's very excited to see you. It's filled with your favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? Oh man, that's so cheap. I would just say my kid right now. What's my favorite thing? Okay, well, heaven pasta, is, pa- is, Italian food. <laughs> okay, heaven is filled with your kid, but your kid has been claimed. There's like a million of her everywhere. Everywhere uh, you look, there's your kid wow. jumping around, excited to see you. Slightly frightening <laughs> in a way, but there's a million yeah. of her. Right, and right, yeah. all, they've all got pasta dishes for you, <laughs> carrying pasta around. And you're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is intense. Uh, and, uh, but everyone, everyone's excited to see you, all a million of your, of your daughter. And, uh, but everyone wants to, they want to talk to you about your life through film. And the first thing they want yeah, to know is, yeah. what is the first film you remember seeing, Fran Cran? Ah, oh, man. I, you know, I can't, I, I don't know. I remember like, of being obsessed with Disney's Halloween special, Disney's Halloween treat, whatever was it, you know, that's not a movie necessarily, but you know, we have these, we still do. Our families kept them just cause they're, they're funny, but these beta beta tapes, you know, before right. VHS, there was beta. And so we have, you know, but one of them is star Wars and, and like, yeah. I can't be sure what was first, but that, that feels at the beginning. Like it feels like my whole relationship with film sort of, and the love and the sort of the, the experience of it all and the magic of it, it all sort of starts with star Wars. So <clears throat> I'd have to go with that. I know that's probably a generic. No, answer. I, listen, I love that star Wars was your first and you then made mass. It's beautiful. It's really good. <laughs> uh, did you, did no. you see it? At the, so you watched that on your beta max? Yeah. So I was born 81. So Star Wars had come out, but mm. I, I would, I would have watched on that. I don't think, yeah, cause Jedi was 83. So I probably wasn't making it to the theater. I know my brother saw Jedi's, Jedi. Is it, in the is it just the two of you? Just you the two of us. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much older is he? He's two years older. Are you very He's close? two years older. Yes. Yeah. And, right. and, and, and he knows like he, he can kind of remember 
Star Wars. I gather he was taken to E.T., but must have been a baby. Mm. I forget what E.T. was. I'm not sure what was the point of taking him to that if he was just like some, you know, infant. To traumatize but, um, him. To try, yeah, yeah. What was the point I mean, of taking anyone to well, E.T.? Speaking of traumatize. <laughs> yeah, to traumatize. <laughs> no, but I, and I, look, I could, well, you, 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 we'll talk about scary movies, I'm sure, but like. <laughs> My parents, I, I don't want to like get them in trouble here, but, and I get it. Like, you don't know what you're doing for the most part. It feels like it's, it's very hard, but they definitely it showed me some inappropriate films for sure. You know, I mean, it, we, I watched Twin Peaks as it aired and I must've been nine years old. And, Same. and I think, yeah, you know, and it, and it scared the shit. It's traumatized me. Like it's, it's like, I can't. I can't, you know, if I'm out in the woods alone at night and an owl hoots, I'm done. It's like I can't deal. Bob got so into the, you know, inside of me. I got, um, you know, I was coming into my parents' room at night. But the show was so damn good that we, we I watched the whole thing. Like we would watch yes. it together as a family, despite the fact that they knew I'm going to I'm having nightmares. We were still watching it. And I remember we kind of got into a zone of like. Okay, leave the room or cover your eyes. You know, the, you you could tell by the music. Like, I think you might want to go, but then sometimes it's like Leland looks in the mirror and there's Bob and fuck, we didn't see that coming. So anyway, so but yeah, Fire Walk with Me, which was you know came out right after. Yeah, our family was so into Twin Peaks. You know, we had to see it, but that was like you know that shit really got got me got me bad. Fran, you, know? you I mean you you I, all I can tell you is the listeners will know this. You're you basically just described my childhood and Oh really? Uh, right. Twin Peaks Twin Peaks I think made my brain the way it is. I watched it far too young, watched it live, uh, never never slept again, still scared. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, great. No, we had to say I mean are we yeah. I feel like we're probably close in age, so I yeah, assume yeah, we had sure. the same problem of seeing this as children yeah and 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 i would say firewalk with me is probably the scariest film ever made i think so i mean i think so that's my question is it is it your answer to scary i think it i think it has to be because it's sort of scarier than the show sort of pound for pound right because the show is a lot of soap opera and and you know, I've gone back and rewatched the show a lot and I like the return, even though it was just bizarre. But I, you know, you kind of want to move through the show. Be like, ah, these people don't matter. <laughs> you know, um, but Fire Walk With Me is like, no, it's just a devastating, scary movie start yeah. to finish. And uh, but, you know, I know like like I definitely like. No, it's definitely that would be my one. But, you know, I want to make a scary movie one day. I, I, I know like Jaws gets it like I, I go into a swimming pool and just there's a there's always like this tiny feeling there's a shark in the pool, like, you know, yeah. so totally irrational because of that movie. But I remember that movie Open Water, which is, I think, kind of a yes. silly movie. Like, I don't know if we all think that's some great thing. It's like the found footage, yeah. the couples left behind and they're just stuck in the water and eventually eaten by sharks. I had to leave. Like I had to, <laughs> like I sort of, I was like, like a little kid. Like I remember large Marge and Pee Wee, whatever the Pee Wee one is, the uh, Pee Wee's big adventure. Maybe mm-hmm. like as a kid, I remember being made fun of by my brother and my cousins because right before large Marge, I had, I had already been traumatized by her in the, in whatever, I think it's Pee Wee's great. But I would be like, oh, I gotta, Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> you know, and they're all like, it's just so transparent what's happening. But that, that I, as an adult, like, I think I did that in that open water movie. I was just so deeply upset by it that I was like, I got, I'm just gonna, I gotta pee, you know, just gonna, <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't know if I came back. Um, yeah. anyway. Yeah. But there you go. Fire walk with me. Amazing. Uh, oh my God. Fire with me is <laughs> outrageous. 
That's so great. We could talk about Twin Peaks for hours, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And listen, yeah. I'm, I, never, I'm ne- I never make anyone do this, but I'm going to make you do this. A few weeks ago, I had Mark Frost on the podcast. And oh, wow. You've got to listen I didn't to it know because that. he was magic and you, oh, know great. The, you know the thing of like never meet your heroes i say meet your heroes he was yeah. so wonderful it's it, oh, i mean it, it's an hour and a half of me basically wanting gushing. to go i love you <laughs> but he's <Yeah>. so great <laughs> he's so great and he's so sort of wise and lovely and funny and sweet and deep and he was everything you, you'd want like, you said this gushing. just happened too this was last week you said no this is like i don't know a month ago six weeks ago a month so, ago okay because i feel i was just looking at your listening to some interviews and then i i obviously missed that but okay no, yeah i will worth, I'll do, my worth. brother and i are gonna have to watch that i mean we're both you know we were both traumatized and so yeah. we both kind of have this relationship intense relationship with the yeah show. Me, i mean me and my sister didn't i mean i told him this and it is true is that I was supposed to, me and my sister shared a room. And so I guess I was like eight or nine and I was meant to move into my own room. And the <laughs> night I was meant to move into my own room was the night we watched the first episode of Twin Peaks. And I oh, no. moved my mattress back in <laughs> onto the floor next to my sister's bed. Right. <laughs> Stayed there until I was 18. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) it was so scary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so scary. Yeah. I don't know. God, it's so I'll have to sit down with my parents and sort of be like, what were you? What were we all thinking? You know, also the the magic of the magic of what David Lynch does is in that he makes a fan terrifying. Just an image of a a ceiling fan. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like a portent of horrendous fear. It's such a like amazing. And just a, a, a you know, there, there's, I mean, Bob comes into that living room at one point yeah, or you, you, well, you'll see, but, in, and so I don't know if it's like chicken or the egg, like are, are just simple bedrooms and living rooms terrifying mm, the, yeah. just because of how he frames it or it has, was Bob sort of established? And I don't think so. Like the fan and Laura Palmer or uh, the mother, I forget her name, coming down the staircase, yeah. you know, that's not, that's not conspicuous fear and evil and yeah. spiritual, you know, supernatural, you know, that's just, yeah, it is. It's very, very strange. I mean, he, uh, and I think in Fire Walk With Me, there are just sort of very basic sort of shots. And so I guess it's the art direction and he's kind of a master of sound. We know yeah, that. But sound, like, yeah. man, it's, it's you're absolutely right. What he can sort of what what seems to be ordinary is so terrifying yeah. with him behind the camera. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 
2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Uh, what's the film that made you cry the most? This is a cheesy answer, but a mass, you know, just... I mean, I cried for years in front of a laptop, cried editing it, cried watching it. <laughs> you know, technically, I have to say that one. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, I remember as like, this is so cheesy, but Goose Dine and Top Gun was, right, I don't know if that. I'd cried in a movie yet. You know what I mean? So I feel mm-hmm. like that was a sort of kind of a, 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 a pivotal or seminal sort of a moment in my life as in childhood and being affected by a movie like that, you know, and like, I know that's sort of this sort of, you know, cheesy, famous blockbuster, you know, but I think a lot of like mm-hmm. kids, young boys were affected by that. And it was sort of an, a <laughs> kind of a little loss of innocence. Like, I'm not sure. Like, I think that movie was 86 and I feel like I probably saw it like shortly after it came out on video and was devastated by this, you know, this guy dying. Twice and, he's done uh, that. Twice he's done that. Anthony Edwards. First in Top Gun, uh, then in the air. I mean, the man. The, <laughs> yes, the man dies beautifully. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah, <laughs> I um, yeah, no, okay. So there's another. There's a movie because I can't. This came up recently, and I thought you're crying like immediately, and I don't even know how it works because I'm I'm kind of there's a movie I want to do based on this book. This I'm just going to say it. Put it out into the universe. This Richard Richard Powers who wrote the Overstory. He has a new book called bewilderment and i really want to direct it and uh i was think i was thinking because there's a relationship with a father and a child there's this movie called color of paradise um sort of a sort of a saccharine title but um this is uh and i don't want to butcher the name but majid majidi and it's an iranian film and it's um this this boy uh, who's blind and his relationship with his father and it is it, it I I was crying like immediately and I don't even know how it was possible. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't understand some sort of alchemy of sort of sound and visual, you know, color and sound and this boy and the the look of his father, like nothing has happened. He's just picking him up from school or his, you know, the, the sort of special school for the children, blind children. You're just done so quickly. And then not mm-hmm. to mention the movie itself, which is which is um tough i mean really 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 tough and i love that about the film and that it doesn't it's despite that title it's just a terribly honest and difficult relationship it's a hard you know and raising this child and the sort of the frustration of the kid and the sort of frustration of the father but the love the sort of the intensity and sort of uh, you know the the real love of the relationship it's just a really incredible kind of movie and it kind of has you crying throughout it i mean that's one that really comes to mind but particularly just how quickly you're locked in like they somehow get you in the pot in the palm of his hand almost immediately you know that's great what is the film people don't like it it's not critically acclaimed but you love it and you don't care what any of you say i um i mean i <laughs> i'm a kids in the hall fan you know but oh, i remember when uh when Brain Candy came out, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen it, but yeah. like even all my friends, we all went and saw it in the theater and we all like Kids in the Hall. But we were like 30 minutes into that movie thinking like, this is gar- this is ridiculous. <laughs> like this is and then I don't know what it was. There's some point I forget the guy's name. He was like a running joke 
And I think he's just in a towel. He's like, it was like one of their production team guys. And he's not like a, one of the cast members. It was some other dude. And he, they, they have a name for him and he's in like a, a, just a bath towel. And he was in a giant bowl of cereal and it was just in a, in a kind of music montage in the middle of this ridiculous movie. And I remember it was like the absurdity just got too much for us. And we like were falling out of our seats laughing. You know, we thought like at that point. And so now I think of Kids in the Hall Brain Candy as like one of the great movies ever made, like one of the funniest movies. You know, that's it's like great. top up there. So I don't know. I don't know if that's fair. as like a bad a bad movie that I love without any kind of shame, um, because <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's also amazing. But there was certainly like, look, it's not going to be for everyone. I looked a lot of like cheesy action movies as a kid you know i remember like war movies and i'd go to the video store and look you know bad horror films i'd go look at the back of the box and find just what looked kind of gory and i love all the friday the 13th even the bad ones like jason takes manhattan like in college we would just kind of go on marathons of watching those and there's like a really silly i mean i feel bad saying this because you know (laughs) movies are hard to make you know and like i don't want to offend anyone but this movie hamburger hill which is like a vietnam movie do you remember that yeah yeah i remember the the video cover for sure i don't think i saw it yeah and it's i'm pretty sure it's i'm pretty sure it's just bad you know and like (laughs) but like really into that as a kid and because it was so violent Mm. at whatever age i was i i i thought it was powerful right and 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 i think in reality it was sort of just such a sort of -of run-of-the-mill kind of war action movie that kind of had like nothing to say you know what i mean i (laughs) do you know i don't know yeah yeah (laughs) what about what's a film that you used to love loved it very much but you watched it recently and you've gone oh i don't like this anymore for whatever reason (laughs) i uh well i do that a lot with my kid right so we're going all my favorites i mean you know one that i loved that i was like no way this movie's still great was flight of the navigator do you remember that Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. i was kind of like no man this is like emotional there's some great music like yes it's very cheesy there's very 80s or whatever you know i I, you know but like no i was like yeah this is good um and then but no one that was hilariously like bad and offensive i mean i again like i i feel bad i you know these are you know especially this one's like considered i think it's considered a classic but anyway i the swiss family robinson you know we went to disneyland and i grew up with swiss family robinson treehouse and now it's tarzan's treehouse you know and i couldn't help but wonder like why is it tarzan and like sure you know tarzan's a more recent kind of big animated hit and maybe it's sort of like a better sell than you know swiss family robinson's old but um i apparently you know disney world it's still swiss family robinson and i don't know why you know maybe that's like a florida thing (laughs) um anyway i remember loving it i we put it on and i was watching with my brother and my daughter and this is something i remember loving as a kid Mm -hmm. and it has this disclaimer at the top you know, saying this, you know, we have the, the, there's some offensive portrayal of people in this movie. That's, you know, it's that that kind of right. And, and I thought, oh, okay, you know, you know where this is going and it's sort of the indigenous people portrayed in this totally sort of whatever stereotype racist kind of fashion, but like, and, and again, and like, it's, it also could be applied to the white people. Like it, they, they are so, (laughs) so (laughs) stupid and so ridiculous that it's sort of like, well, who are they sort of really apologizing about here? (laughs) The, um, the, the Swiss family, Uh like they, like, I don't even know where to be like they're when they're, they're, they're shipwrecked and the father's trying to like save their lives 
and the 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 rest of the family is trying to like save all the animals on board and he's like no we gotta fuck we gotta get to shore like we don't have time so it's sort of like and you get it it's like oh it's sweet like the animals but they're they're idiotic you know and then but then they get to shore and it's like within a day the the father's gone native and it's like we could stay here forever you know it's just like what the hell you know this guy's and then like the yeah and then the the i guess it's not very clear but like even in the description it says it's like the napoleonic wars and they're fleeing they're sort of like refugees or you get the sense but you're like wait a minute isn't like switzerland like you know just like famously neutral and great you know just like a great place to live and they seem pretty wealthy so it's like why are you why are you doing like what why are you fleeing your country like what's going on and then the kids the boys are all just like such kind of like dumb male energy and like blowhard hard on types, you know, the ridiculous. And then the, the, anyway, my point is the young kid who I remember loving as a child and like relating to, because his name is Francis and he's like a psychopath. He's like a dangerous, (laughs) violent child. And, and at the end of the movie, something, some people get rescued and leave, but like the parents stay with Francis and you're kind of like, they have to stay there with like Francis is a danger to society. <laughs> but I remember being in the backyard playing like fighting imaginary mm-hmm. pirates, like as Francis and even seeing my daughter immediately be taken by Francis and like mm-hmm. doing that same, that same energy of like fighting the pirates as Francis, right. you know, and you're like, no, that Francis is really a troubled <laughs> kid, you know, like, Oh, this is a crazy, terrible role model. So anyway, I, uh, that movie just like beat for beat was like super questionable what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing it that will always make it special to you, Mr. Frank Kranz. Oh, man. I mean, like, I feel like there's so... I mean, my, I feel like my life is sort of in film, and so I have so... Or want I want it to be, and I feel like I have so many movies that are meaningful to me. I mean, I, I do kind of remember, you know, when Reservoir Dogs came out, hmm. for, for whatever reason the sort of story of Tarantino and like, he was just this kid and worked in a video store and he just like, he just liked movies so much <laughs> that, that yeah. he's, that he was good at making them. You know, there was something, there was something kind of, um, I don't know, sort of uh, simplistic and almost sort of fairy tale or sort of like or a legend kind of to his sort of start of like, this is just this film geek that's just so passionate that he's good at it, you know, like somehow that 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 felt like it made it more believable that I could make movies, you know, and I I, I look, I don't I don't think and I, I love Quentin Tarantino. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, it's not the, the, the Reservoir Dogs is like so violent. Like, I don't I don't think I'd make a movie that's just mm-hmm. like so shoot him up, you know. But it was sort of his success, and it was almost like he was anointed immediately, you know? Yeah. Like Reservoir Dogs, it was just like, oh, he's this guy's in, and he's great, and will, he will be for a long time. It felt that way quickly, and maybe it was Pulp Fiction, but that was um, – I felt I – because I think I was like in eighth grade, and it was so crazy. Reservoir Dogs is so shocking mm-hmm. that that also was like, you know, anything goes. You know, you're crazy – idea is okay because this is now this is considered acceptable and commercial you know and so there there was something i remember some that was a sort of a breaking open and also tarantino because i was such a fan i followed what he followed and he was kind of he did that thing like he would he would sort of have his name on a dvd and he it was i don't know him right but he sort of introduced me to uh wong kar wai and that's when i saw chung king express 
because he was like, you know, he gave it an intro on the D on the tape or DVD. And, and that, not that I'd never seen a foreign film, but that was like, that was a floodgate kind of movie for me where I became obsessed with Wong Kar Wai, but sort of Asian cinema in general started getting into Korean film and, you know, uh, uh, that, that sort of opened, I feel like there was, there was something, a shift and a kind of newfound appreciation and sort of wider kind of net to sort of what I kind of, you know, was watching. And it, it kind of starts with him, I think. I mean, I'm hard, hard relate. Uh, tell me this. <laughs> what is the film? What is, uh, weirdly, the next question, what is the film that you most relate to? Oh, wow. Speaking of Wong Kar Wai, mm-hmm. this movie 2046 to me feels like, eh, it sounds cheesy, but love and the experience of love, the ups and the downs, the complexity of it, falling in love, falling out of love. When you sort of, whatever it is, sort of come of age and, you know, puberty and sort of that, that romantic love as it becomes sort of pervasive in your life, the sort of the, the long-term journey of it and sort of both heartbreak and ecstasy and eroticism like that movie. And it's not, I I know it's not for everyone, but to me, I'm like that, that is sort of like some perfect visual film cinematic poem to romantic love. And I, so I I did get to meet Quentin Tarantino once and Mm -hmm. we got into an argument at some party because I was like, that's, that's his greatest movie, 2046. And he was like, no, it's not. Uh, I think he said in the mood for love. And he was like, it, and, and I forget the actress's name, the young actress. Um, she plays the sort of, it's as like his kind of love affair mistress. And she comes back in the sort of not even third. It feels in, and I know where he's going with this. It almost feels like a fourth act. Like it feels almost extraneous. And he was like, she should not have come back. That was just, that, that just got old or redundant or that was unnecessary. And I sort of was like, no, but that's, that's it. That's what love, that's what it's messy and weird. And people come back into your life and it fails again. And there's mm-hmm. sort of, there's a really a difficult, complicated way to sort of end relationships are just they, they don't end necessarily. So I felt like it was no, it kind of covered everything because of that sort of final sort of beat. Um, but he obviously disagreed. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, that look, that movie also looks nothing like my life. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's a great answer. Okay, okay. But I completely know what you mean. It's the feel of it. What, um, yeah. what's the sexiest film you've ever seen, Frank Rance? Yeah. <laughs> God, man, this is sort of embarrassing, but do you remember like, I, I did you, maybe, I don't know if you relate to this, but like as a kid and maybe it's like, you're like, you know, going through puberty. It reminds me of like middle school and horny teenager. Like I remember like sex scenes and sort of these big movies were like kind of a thing. You're like, Oh my God. I like, Yep. Sharon Stone, you know, mm-hmm. or like Desperado. Like yeah. I remember the sex scene with Salma Hayek and Antonio Ben. Like I was like, oh my God, that mm-hmm. was amazing. You know, but you know, it, it, and then maybe that was, I mean, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but it, maybe it was a very sort of like hot erotic sort of sex scene. But some of them in retrospect were so silly. Like I remember this, this movie, the special, I think it's the specialist with Sylvester Stallone. 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 <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And it's sort of like, I, I don't know. I think like I was young enough to sort of be like t- taken by it and think like, whoa, look at that. Um, 
but also, you know, thinking back of like, that was just ridiculous. And also <laughs> still Stallone is like this bodybuilder. Like the whole thing was like absurd. And in some like, my memory is it's in like a red shower. Like, yeah, they're like, in the shower. Like, you, do you know what I mean? And like, yeah, yeah but he, <laughs> okay. So yeah, but I feel like those were sort of, those were things. It was like how like my, you know, buddies and I sort of became acquainted to all this, you know, and, but, um, I mean, I saw, this is not like sexy because it's basically pornography. I mean, I guess it is in parts, but, um, you know, Caligula was a, was like blew me away. Cause I was like, Oh my God. And there was a part of me cause of, you know, clockwork orange and loving Malcolm McDowell. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw some of these early on and there's a part of me that's like, it's a damn shame. They couldn't edit Caligula into, you know, a sort of a better movie because we have to look at all this. But, you know, when I watched it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, the amount of sort of sex and nudity. But there's points where it just goes, okay, well, hey, come on, guys. You know, you just, <laughs> now it's, you know. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, it, I know those are that's sort of growing up. I think like, you know, again, like I In the Mood for Love, 2046, those are like deeply romantic movies. I'm trying to think of like a love scene that just felt sort of adult and, you know, really sort of, you know, erotic or romantic. And I, I'm struggling to think of that. But I mean, look, those two movies, as they pair up with each other in the mood for love and 2046 are super, in my mind, you know, sensual. That would do you. Know? you. There is a subcategory, which is troubling boners, worrying why dons. A film you found arousing <laughs> that you thought maybe you should. Have. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I uh well who are like you know the animated characters that were just like really it's attractive a long, it's a long list yeah yeah exactly exactly oh god I mean what's what's her the Robin Robin Hood Fox I remember thinking the Robin Hood yeah, Fox like, Marian, and, yeah absolutely man so that's like sort of troubling because that's mm-hmm. sort of that's uh obviously bestial or whatever you know so I'm not <laughs> um so uh, yeah but i remember like loving her you yeah. know in a as a in a in a she way she is that was, lovely though this is the main yeah. marion she's lovely <laughs> she's yeah really yeah lovely. she's got a lovely vibe about it. it's not just her looks she's a good looking fox but she's also she's got a lovely vibe yeah like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and it, it, yeah, you know, it's, well, you know, it's funny because I, I'm inundated with Disney and I, I know not every girl gets this way or child, but like mine was hooked on, mm. like she saw Mickey, Minnie Mouse in particular, and it was over. It was like, right. she's now, she's just, she's drank the Kool-Aid. She's one, you know, join the cult or whatever. And so we have princess, a lot of princesses and, you know, it's like, who's your favorite princess daddy? And, you know, I find myself like really, you know, <laughs> in my yeah, head, like, or just like thinking about it, like way differently than she's sort of, you know, like her, <laughs> her judgment of the these. Prince, yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, I like Belle because she reads. And then yeah. it's like, yeah. And also I, yeah, I'm sort of most, yeah. <laughs> weirdly attracted to Belle. Cause yeah. She, anyway. Cause she reads and she's really fit and also reads. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. What yeah. is objectively objectively the greatest film ever made uh yeah i think 2001 um great answer i could watch that i've watched it so many times i like sometimes when you think like you know we've really oh we're, we're pushing the boundaries you know movies these days are so excited this is you know 
what we've done and broken the rules and, you know, in the history of film. But then you're like, I don't know. That was like at this point, that's like over 50 years ago. And Mm -hmm. as crazy a movie as anyone will ever make, like as so in your face, like throwing the gauntlet down of like, I am going to make an incredibly like, I, I think I know what it's all about, you know, Mm -hmm. but I also a movie that is totally perplexing and sort of mysterious as well. And like, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people that can barely get through the opening of, you know, let alone the ending. But I, I, the experience of first watching it and saying, I can't, I can't fucking believe this. Like, I can't believe this is happening, you know? And, uh, it, 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 you know, you get a very, you kind of get a story in there for sure. What do you think you get it's a, about? What's your hot take? I mean, I think there's sort of uh what's my hot take? Yeah. <laughs> now it's not going to be very articulate. I, I mean, it's sort of, it's, it's this relationship with technology, you know, and, and what is, what is it? And is it, is it really ours or is it a sort of, is it a sort of force in the driving the sort of universe? Is it a sort of, you know, we think there are tools, but is it just like a general sort of motion of things? Is there a kind of a intelligence, so to speak, that is sort of persistent and insistent? And it has been from the very beginning and will sort of evolve and take on these forms. But there's sort of this plan. There's like a cosmic intention that we are sort of a part of, very much a part of, very much it's streaming through us as sort of a species. And, you know, kind of, you know, the the, the ape kind of figuring out the bone as a weapon, you know, the, the like the greatest cut in history, you know, into the satellite and, you know, eventually becoming the star child, you know, and this sort of, there's this, uh, I mean, I think the short story, they find the thing on the moon and I think it's like a pyramid in the Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke and they can't figure out what the hell to do with it until they drop a bomb on it. I'm pretty sure they drop like an atom bomb or, you know, and then it shoots a signal off. And it's kind of this idea of contact of like the aliens waiting for us to be at a point. And um, there's certainly something to that. But I also I feel like it's sort of as opposed to contact, as opposed to sort of the alien movies where it's sort of like we're visited, the visitation. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the the bridging. It's sort of like the inevitability of contact because these are sort of intelligent life all sort of having a way of connecting itself you know and that uh you know him becoming the sort of the star child it's a co-evolution of these sort of species that speaks to a greater sort of intelligence driving through the universe anyway i don't know what really the hell i'm talking about but really um good. Good i mean i i do i feel like i have to go with that one i could I, I got a lot of movies i think are are up there. I love Agira, Wrath of God, you know, mm. Herzog. And I think the Russian movie, Come and See. I feel like, you know, there's these movies that are just, to me, like kind of kind of perfect. But 2001, I just feel like because of the themes, I mm. think, kind of takes the cake. I mean, so obviously like Citizen Kane is, you know, there, there's things that are sort of obvious. And I feel like 2001 is also, but I, I just think it has to be that guy. I mean, he literally like worked with NASA. Like that image of Jupiter Mm. Like we didn't have that. Like he, yeah. his conversations with NASA sort of developed that, that red spot. Like they, they sort of learn, at least this is what I read is they kind of learn. And then the centrifuge, like, you know, no one's kind of done that. Like no yeah. one, like nowadays we just do CGI. Like no one's going to bother with that kind of uh, creativity of set design necessarily. I don't, I don't even, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah it's a really good answer and I will take it. Um, <laughs> okay. What <laughs> is, the film you could or have watched the most over and over again. I mean, I, I, brain candy became sort of a, oh, wow. 
a favorite of our uh my just my friends i mean mcgruber i mean they're definitely like comedies i, I think i mean star mm-hmm. wars i probably watched a ton like way too many times because i thought there was a formula in there i thought there was there's something you know perfect at, underneath all this in terms of storytelling it's that joseph campbell you know heroic journey or hero's journey and i felt like i needed to sort of get that you know mm-hmm. kind of understand okay these are the beats to tell a tell a great story and you know star you know star wars isn't for everyone or i took it kind of seriously like that you right. know and um so obviously i've seen that one a whole lot i mean i did but uh, you know some certain comedies mcgruber cable guy <laughs> um right. i feel like i've probably seen them a lot i i like that you you picked i think that's really i think it's quite interesting that the answer to that question is often a silly comedy and yeah. and silly comedies are never taken seriously as you know art or as that they're really yeah. sort of rewarded by you know yeah. the press or it, they they're just considered and yet you go and yet they're the things that people will watch over and over again and I think it's amazing you made mass and your 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 love is brain candy and and MacGruber, <laughs> MacGruber and in the same yeah. way Paul Thomas Anderson loves Adam Sandler movies like it's fascinating oh yeah like, really yeah these no are the I mean it films is that, yeah actually you know, it's sort of, it's just joy you know i mean yeah. whatever it's it's yeah it's sort of you know it's like uh i don't want to say escape but it's just like an infusion of happiness that's sort yeah. of undeniable and and we need that you know you need that in your life and so the sort of the real sort of guaranteed kind of successful sort of if i you know mood swing or in a good way you know it's kind of gets you in or i guess are sort of tend to be comedies i mean i feel like i've seen a lot of heavy movies a lot um but those are, I yeah. wonder, it's such a good question. I wish, I wish I could know. It'd be fun to sort of know if the you stats. could kind of, someone was keeping the stats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's, love- what we, neither of us like to be negative, so we'll do it quickly. But what's the worst film you've ever seen? Bearing in mind, all films are hard to make and everyone does their best. Yes. Oh, this is hard. I don't know. I mean, I know, okay, I, I, this is, yeah, there's like big people involved in this movie. So I'm worried, but Havoc was so bad. Like even I, I think I auditioned for everything, you know, I'm like a yeah. desperate actor. Havoc <laughs> was so, I don't know if you know what this is. It's sort of about like LA kids and like privileged kids or prep school kids. And, and like, I grew up in this city and this knew this world and it like mentioned my high school. And like, so it was just like, it was so bad. It was so, it was such also kind of like, I got it. Like I sort of understood the general sort of like feel of it and how these kids were portrayed, but it was also such bullshit and just so silly that even I didn't audition for it. And we just (laughs) sat around ripping that movie apart. I remember like Howard the duck because it scared the shit out of me. And also it was, it wasn't it Lucas or it was, who was it? It was someone. George Lucas produced it i don't know if he directed it maybe he directed it yeah he definitely produced it well it was so offensive because as a kid i was like well, what the hell you know like and because it, it's kind of upset me it was sort of disturbing and scary and i didn't get what was going on and so i remember being like you know violently angrily you know violent about how bad and you know that was and like i yeah. want my money back kind of vibe <laughs> not my duck yeah, yeah. What, uh, what's the film that made you laugh the most I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, Gruber's up there. I don't know why that's sort of top of my mind is sort of comedies. I mean, I gotta come up. I keep, I know I keep saying the same. That's okay. If it's, if it's your truth. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I met Will Forte once and I was mm-hmm. like, 
oh man, I'm such a fan. Like MacGruber's so good. And he was like, not good enough. And, yeah. I, <laughs> and I laughed and I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, it's like, honestly, I think it's one of the best comedies ever made. And he's like, not good enough. It was awesome. And I was like, yes, you're genius. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a damn good one. Uh, just silly. I don't know. I feel like I should get, I should have better than that. Oh, bananas. I loved Woody Allen's bananas. Laughed a lot. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about Woody Allen. I don't anymore, know anymore yeah. either. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Here we yes, go. Bananas makes me very sad now, though. Very yeah. upset now. Frank Kranz, you have yeah. been wonderful. Thank you for indulging me in all the conversation <laughs> about your film. Uh, however, <laughs> when you were 64 and you went for a walk okay. in the woods and natural causes happened, i.e. a bear <laughs> was walking past... <laughs> Saw you and mauled you to death, ate your head, yeah. crunched your skull, ripped <laughs> open, pulled a lung out. And you I was what, walking I mean, through the woods and I was like, I wonder where Fran Kranz is. I had a coffin with me, you know what I'm like. And then I see this absolute, absolute chaos. There's bits of you over walls. He smeared your liver on a tree. For a, I mean, this bear was having a right old time. And I'm like, I said to the bear, come on, mate. Natural causes, get out of here. The bear's like, oh, sorry, I was just having some fun. So I do what I can. I collect all the bits of you I can. I put you in the coffin, but there's, you know, bits of tree, bits of fucking bear, sick. Like, he's had a right old man. I stuff you in the coffin. There's, there's more of you than I was expecting. The coffin is full. There is really only enough room in this for me to slip one DVD into the side for you to take across to the other side. One Betamax if you prefer. And on yeah. the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show when it is your movie night in heaven with your one million versions of your daughter in the pasta? What are you going to show? Yeah. yeah. God, that's so good. I mean, we talked about the infusion of sort of joy and happiness, you know, comedy gives you. I forgot. It made, for some reason, I think the funny movies that I w- could watch over and over were like Pootie Tang. I forgot about <laughs> Pootie Tang. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I, it's so cheesy, but it, Star Wars started it all. It was just it open. It was like it, it filled my life with like so much sort of like hope and promise, as cheesy as it, that sounds of like, mm. I want to be in that world. I want to, you know, so it's hard not to sort of like take that first seminal movie with you. I This is cheesy. I know there's a thousands of my daughters in heaven with pasta, but I you know, it's almost like a movie we enjoyed together would be nice too. you know, like mm-hmm. one of the things that she's sort of loved, like Willow, ah, <laughs> um, nice. ba- Badlands, um, Badlands. I know ne- we haven't even mentioned that one. Sure, uh, yeah. That's sort of a perfect movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm bad at this. I should have really been ready with my definitive answer. I'm going to just say Star Wars. You can take Star Wars. That's a lovely yeah. answer. Uh, Frank yeah. Hans, is there anything before you go that you would like to tell people to look out for and watch other than Mass? Oh, well, d- check out Julia on HBO Max. It's out right now. I'm an actor on it. Thank God I can still have an acting career. And oh, uh, it's re- it's really, really, really sweet and charming. And Sarah Lancashire is a genius and uh, as Julia Child. And uh, it's really it's really good. It's just a really good show. And that's another infusion of joy oh, in, in, in what could otherwise be a sort of dreary life, you know fantastic um <laughs> yeah. yeah frank Kranz, thank you for your time and for yeah, your work and for your film uh god bless you thank you man thank you thank have you. a wonderful death thank you goodbye thanks man Bye-bye. <laughs>
So that was episode 197. We are getting close to 200, aren't we? What's going to happen? Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 30 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Fran. Get to Apple Podcasts and write about the film that means the most to you. Put five stars and tell us about the film that made you cry or means the most to you. And my neighbour Maureen loves reading them. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Thank you so much to Fran for doing the show. Thanks to Max for setting it up. I'm very grateful to you. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week. Oh, I'm trying to get something done in time for next week. Let's hope I do it. And if not, there'll be something else here. But whatever it is, you know it'll be great. I really hope you're all well. Please have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.